Let's pray. Lord, we do want to hear from you tonight. And so, Lord, we, uh, we just want to sit at your feet and we want to soak in your word. But, Lord, much more so, we want to soak in your character. Lord, help us to soak in your character and then live accordingly. So please do that work in our hearts tonight for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to start out with a little bit of preface. Can I go with preface? Preface is I'm going to try to be honoring of your time, um, but we're going to go through the book of Ephesians tonight. And um, preface number two is sometimes I get accused by my family of being dramatic. <laughs> to, sometimes to the point of false accusation of like exaggerating stories right? For example, we had a persimmon tree when I was a kid, growing up. It's this big round. My dad, in his later years, rest his soul, he's now with the Lord. He knows better now. My dad, in his later years, as his memory was failing, my kid said, Grandpa, how big was that persimmon tree? He said, oh, it's about like that. That's because he was in his later years, right? But anyway, so they didn't believe that it's like that. We had a persimmon tree that was that big around. But anyway, so all that to say, sometimes I get accused of, of exaggerating and, and uh, being dramatic and all that. But I, so I'm at risk of doing that tonight. Is that fair? It's caveat. I admitted it, all right? I'm at risk of doing that tonight, but here's why. I am off the charts, I'm serious now, I'm off the charts passionate about what I'm going to say tonight. I think if there's, and again, I'm trying not to be dramatic, so I gave you the caveat. If there was a single message that I could speak to Christians, it would be what I'm going to say tonight. I've thought through this for years, frankly. If there were a single thing I could say to a Christian, it would be what I'm going to say tonight. And I'm going to back up for a second and say, I don't know everybody in the room, okay? If you're not a Christian, here's how that works. We're all born sinners. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Nasty, gnarly, dirty scumbag sinners. As bad as the person sitting next to you, sinners. Well, you're pushing it. Every last one of us are, and that separates us eternally from God. Period. There's a solution, there's a problem that human beings could not overcome. Period. And it only has one solution, and that was for God Himself to come to earth in the form of a human being who we know to be Jesus Christ, who died on a cross. A brutal death so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life with him in heaven fellowship with him in heaven and not only that abundant life here on earth today that's the Christian life okay 
So, that's the Christian life. Now, to the rest of us, I'm going to say I'm talking to Christians now. Okay? I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that, that we get the why of why do we serve the Lord. Fair enough? Here's what I was thinking through this. Every human being responds to incentives. You ever think about this? Every human being, virtually all human behavior, has some sort of incentive. Does that make sense? For example, I'm on a work project last week with my boys. We got a load of stuff, right? We got to take it to the dump, right? Take it to the dump. Get kind of, the guy says, wait there at the stop sign, right? You guys have been in the dump. You wait there at the stop sign. Then when they signal you, they signal you one, two, or three, you back in, and you dump, dump off your stuff. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. They had a little work to do. They had to clean up some stuff while we're sitting there at the stop sign. And we're sitting there at the stop sign. Got a good CD playing. So it was good. Made it through most of the CD. While the guys sort of clean up their stuff. They got a, and, and I wish I could do like a demo of them, right? I'd smoke a cigarette. Go get the big mover thing. Because one of the big pieces of concrete, whatever, has to be moved. Grab the chain. Mosey over. Stop and talk to somebody on the way. Grab the thing. Drag it out of the way. Another guy gets on the skid steer. Which, if I had one of those, if I had a job that I had to drive a skid steer, I'd be popping wheelies in that thing. <laughs> right? But no, we're just going to mosey around the skid steer. Scoot the trash. Talk a little more. Smoke another cigarette. Go up to the, de the go up and tell somebody, the guy that we, we drove in, past the guy on the way in where we, where we weighed our truck. You weigh in on the way in and on the way out. I had to go up and tell that guy something. That guy had to come back and tell this guy something. This guy had to go smoke a cigarette and then tell the other guy something. And at the end of it, life is always a, a life lesson, right? I asked my boys, who've yet to enter the workforce except for working for me on that day, which is utopian workforce. But anyway, I said... You think those guys work by the hour, or by the, or do they get paid like X amount per customer that unloads this trash? What they say? Hour. Those guys get paid by the hour, right? I always tell my kids, you want to line up human behavior, get the incentives to line up. If you know, if you get the incentives to line up, you don't have to babysit anybody. Right? Story number two. And I haven't read a word of scripture yet. I understand that. Story number two. We used to have alpacas. Okay? Everybody know what alpacas are? They're strong-willed little animals that are just big enough that you think you can manhandle them, but you can't. And we had this thing where we had to Every now and then, we'd have to get them into the barn, right? And for the first, I don't know, seemed like year of this, 
This is where I'm probably glad Nate's not here because he was fairly traumatized by it. He has since forgiven me. But anyway, uh, you know, I need to get an alpaca in the barn. I'd chase it, right? You ever chase an alpaca in an open, open field? You imagine? You imagine? So I, so, I saw a video sometime one, one time of where some guy had a, uh, PVC pipes. So you got PVC pipes, two of them, about six feet long. And, you know, I got a bigger range. I can put those alpacas in. And then I discovered, it's pretty smart, you know, we didn't have nine kids for nothing, right? If you got nine kids and a husband and wife, each with a 12-foot span, right? Get those alpacas in the barn, right? So we did that for a few years, right? And then one day, I don't know if it was like a word from the Lord or whatever, I got this idea. You know, if I get that little blue container, put some food in it, shake it, walk in front of the alpacas, we got rid of all of our PVC pipes. <laughs> right? You just grab that little shaker. How much herding do I have to do to a well-trained alpaca? If I've got a blue, I could have marbles in it. The alpaca wouldn't know any better, right? Got a blue thing, right? You get the idea? Human beings are no different. So turn to Galatians chapter 6. We read this on Sunday. I thought this would be a good transition to follow up with. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Is that a true statement or not? True or false? True. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So what happens when you are tempted to lose heart? And that's Galatians 6.9. What happens if you are tempted to lose heart? Because you grow weary doing good. And you don't know if you're going to reap in due season. Seems like it sure has been a long season. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. What do you do if you're in the middle of that moment? I'll tell you what I grew up learning. Try harder. Try harder. And I'm passionate about this because I grew up in a try-harder church. I grew up as a kid. My incentive was when I first was old enough to understand anything, anything biblical whatsoever, my first incentive, you want to know what my first incentive was? I what? I don't want to what? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell, so I think I should probably go to church with my parents, and I should probably pray like they tell me to, and, you know, a certain age, I probably ought to get baptized, you know, because, you know, that's part of the drill, and I should probably try not to cuss, and I should probably say my, now I lay me down to sleep when I go to bed, because I don't want to go to hell, Right? Well, then I get a little bit older. I get a better understanding of the Lord and, and all of that. And I realize, you know, there's probably a little more to it. And I need to understand a little bit about God's grace and, and some of that kind of stuff. But then even in my adult life, please catch this now. 
even in my adult life, for a long time, there was something sometimes conscious, sometimes subconscious, that said, I bet if I try harder, I'll be a better person. Is that fair? As a matter of fact, God might even like me better. As a matter of fact, God might bless me because of it. Does anything, any of this sound theologically wacko? Don't we struggle with this? This was my adult life until, frankly, until the last several years. And it was the book of Ephesians, frankly, that unlocked this for me and has radically transformed my life. And I don't say that, I don't think with any exaggeration. Is that fair? So, Ephesians, think about it like this. Ephesians is the why. It's the incentive of why we serve the Lord and why we live the Christian life. Ephesians is the why. And if you've been around me long enough and kind of watch what I do and how I roll, uh, even in this church, I'll be honest with you, some of you might at times even get, I'll even let you say, frustrated. Even with me. Go figure. Because I don't really focus on the how of the Christian life. See, some of you are wired more of a charismatic background. And I've had folks that want to draw me more towards the how like they how. Some folks are from a little bit more of a Baptist background. And they want to draw me into the how of how they how. Right? Some folks are super into sovereignty. Right? Uh, into God's sovereignty, by the way. <laughs> into God's sovereignty. They want to draw me into that. Right? Now, frankly, you guys, a lot of those people are gone. <laughs> but you guys are gracious. Right? And I appreciate that. But here's the point. I want all of those folks in the body of Christ. I want all those folks in this room, right? And at the end of the day, what I really care about is the why. Because if you get the why, I don't have to babysit you. And I'm a horrible adult babysitter. I'm not a, I mean, I can do grandkids. I'm not real great even at that. I'm a horrible babysitter. And so if I can communicate to you and help you to embrace the why, and it's there, then the incentives are all lined up. I don't have to babysit anybody. And you can just work out your own how, however the Lord shows you, because the why is what really matters. Is that groundwork for us? Yes. Now, there is one word, if, you've been, if you were here when we went through Ephesians on Sunday mornings, you know the answer to this. So, forgive me for being redundant. There is one word in the Scripture that's... I told you about the alpacas and the blue, blue bucket. There's one word that is the blue bucket of Scripture. There is one word that is the blue bucket of Scripture. To me, it's probably the most important word. Again, I, I, I even prayed through this last night. 
Like, am I being dramatic for the sake of being dramatic? I don't think so. I think this is the most important word in understanding how to live out, the, uh, why we live out the Christian life. And why we don't grow weary in, do, in doing good, for in due season we will not, we will reap if we don't lose heart. Fair enough? Yeah. Anybody know what the blue bucket word is in the Scripture? Therefore. Chapter 4, verse 1. You say, wait a minute, it's got six chapters. Usually we count starting at one. But we don't tonight. Ephesians has six chapters, right? Three in the front and three in the back, right? The first one of the back section would be chapter 4. The first verse in the back section would be chapter 4, verse 1. Fair enough? Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I, Paul, therefore, beg you to walk out this Christian life. Therefore. Well, what's it? Therefore. The fact that it's a therefore points us back to chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 4, verse 1, the word therefore is the blue bucket. Fair enough? Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are the sweet food in the blue bucket. And the sweet food in the blue bucket is the nature of God. Fair enough? If we can embrace and if we can understand and embrace the character of God, then we will automatically, therefore, walk worthy of the calling with which we were called, and you don't need a pastor or a mama to babysit you. Right? right. So, all that to say, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at, the, let's look at what therefore we're talking about. Wherefore? Chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be... And now, I'm going to warn you now. We're going to read God's goodness like drinking from a fire hydrant. Okay? So, I, forgive me for that or we'd be here all night. Every one of these verses, we could talk about them, we could talk about them for an hour. Okay? But we're going to drink them like a fire hydrant. Is that fair? So I, let me just encourage you, go back over, mull over these things, pray over these things, find your favorite ten, whatever you want to do, but anchor these deep into your heart. Okay, this is why we serve the Lord. Number one, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, what's a spiritual blessing? We don't even really know because God defines it. We just know it's good. It's like, it's as if to say, God pours out every single good thing He can pour out on us. Now, we can't even count that. We can't begin to count that. But God pours out every single good thing on us that He can. 
we could stop there and say, that's reason enough to serve the Lord faithfully for the rest of my life. But he goes on. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now he chose us and he adopted us and predestined us to adoption according to the good, his good pleasure. Now, we get hung up on that theologically, but suffice it to say this. If what I said at the beginning, that you recognize you're a sinner, you recognize Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins, and you want that payment, if you will, to apply to your life, guess what? You just walked into this divine mystery that God chose you beforehand to be adopted into his family. And he predestined you accordingly. How does that work? It's beyond our brains. But it's a, it's a biblical truth. It's the reality. And he did it according to his good pleasure. It was God's good pleasure for us to be his adopted kids. Amazing. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved so he made us accepted in the beloved you know you hear all these stories about people feeling the need to be accepted right it's what drive it's you know when you hear people talk about gangs like street gangs those are people that just want to be accepted into some sort of group into some sort of identity some sort of something we have been accepted in the beloved to the praise of the glory of his grace verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace so we've have, we have redemption right what does redemption mean it means we were sinners and he bought us out of the slave market he redeemed us he paid the price for us to be his kids through his grace, through the riches of his grace. Did he have enough money to buy us, if you will, if you use the money example, the analogy? Is God rich enough? Can God buy us? Yeah, he can buy us. And so he did. Verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So you notice all this according to his good pleasure, according to his good pleasure, according to his grace, according to his good pleasure, according to all of that, he made known to us the mystery of his will. God lets us in on his plans. Isn't that amazing? Right? If you've had small kids in the house, you know it drives them crazy if they don't know what's going on. What's for dinner? What's for dinner tomorrow night? What are we doing this weekend? What are we doing next Tuesday? Right? And, and you're kind of like, there's a part of you, honestly, that wants to say, I'll take care of it, <laughs> right? But God knows that that's valuable to us, to be included into his plans. And so he includes us into the mystery of his will. Verse 11. In him also we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we have an inheritance because we're his children, Right? Family members get the inheritance. We have an inheritance because we're his children. And again, the inheritance is eternal life in heaven, but it's also abundant life here on this earth. 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, with all of these things. We have an inheritance. Verse 13, in him, this is fascinating, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So after you believed in him and after you received Jesus and were saved, in him also, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You say, what, what does that mean? All right. If you ever bought a house, okay? Buy a house. You make an offer on the house, right? You write a check when you make the offer. What's the check called? Earnest money. What's the purpose of the earnest money? It's really like, I mean, if the deal falls apart, you get the earnest money back, right? Or somebody gets it. It's always something, right? But it's really just a statement. If you want to make a strong offer, you make a strong earnest money payment. It's your way of saying, I'm going to close the deal, right? First house Tracy, ever, Tracy and I ever had. Sold it in 1994, right? And then again in 1997. And then I think again in 2000 and something. And then again in about 2004, right? We understood that there's a difference between an accepted offer and a closing, right? The first time, literally, we're, we're pa- I remember this was on a, I think it was on a Thursday. Tracy's packing boxes, bless her heart. She was a good sport. She's packing boxes. We had bought the, the next house, sold the first house. It's a Thursday. We're going to close on this one and, you know, move into that one like the next day. It's all, what could go wrong? Right? Sure enough, they backed out of that deal over some lame technicality. Backed out of the deal. Next thing you know, we got two houses. Right? There's a big difference between saying, I'll buy it, and closing the deal. Right? In Him you also trusted after you heard the truth, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. This is fascinating to me. God says, you're saved. You're so saved, you're going to heaven. You're so saved, you are one of my children. You're so saved, you're an adopted child predestined. You're so saved, you're predestined and I chose you. You're so saved just to convince you I'm giving you the Holy Spirit while you're t- while, during your days on this earth as the earnest money to prove that I'll close the deal. Amen. That's incredible. Yeah. So much so that Jesus Himself said, it's better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit's not coming. And you'd be better off with the Holy Spirit here. Can you imagine this? Imagine if Jesus is sitting on this chair teaching the Word of God. And He said, it's better if I'm not here because you guys would be better off with the Holy Spirit inside you. Get your head around that. Get your head around that. 
So we all have the Holy Spirit around, Holy Spirit in us as believers, which is better than if Jesus were sitting here on this stool teaching the Word of God. Is that amazing? And what is that? That's the down payment. That's the earnest money to prove that he's going to close the deal. Amazing. Amazing. Verse 15, Therefore, Paul says, I also, after I heard of your faith in, of the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ and your, and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So Paul takes a little tangent here. He says, Therefore, I'm going to pray for you guys. What's he praying? Number one, praying that we'll have wisdom. Number, uh, verse 17, praying number two, verse 18, that our eyes would be enlightened, that our eyes would be enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? And verse 21, that we would understand far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Paul pauses for a second and says, I've told you all this stuff. Now I'm going to pause and pray that you get it. I'm going to pray that you understand by the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory? And what this inheritance thing really means. I'm going to pray that you guys get that. Because he knows that that's almost overwhelming for us to comprehend. So he prays that we get it. That moves him into uh, chapter 2. And you he made alive. So chapter 1 is all about how much he's blessed us. And chapter 2, what, does he do? what did he do for us? He saved us. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I said at the beginning, we were, we were dirty, rotten sinners, right? We were dead. And again, you've heard me say before, Christianity does not make good people better. It makes dead people alive. It does not make good people better. It makes dead people alive. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in what you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom... Also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the, our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Yuck. That's who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Get this. He did not wait for us to get our act together. He did not wait for us to get our act together. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Those are so rich words. Amazing. Amazing. And then he goes on, for Christ, for we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that word workmanship is poema. We, we get our word poem from it, right? We are God's creation, God's, God's workmanship. God is fashioning us. God is molding us. God is shaping us 
into the person that he wants us to be in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should walk in them. God is good to us. Skip over to verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we're now fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Is God good? Is that the why of why we serve Him? Is that better than don't cuss so you won't go to hell? Yeah. yeah. By the way, you can cuss and still go to and not go to hell. It's not about whether or not you cuss. It's way deeper than that. Chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7, we'll just overview. Basically, Paul, made, Paul was made by God a minister to the Gentiles. Remember, the Jews were the ones that thought they you know, had it all together. The Gentiles thought they were outcasts, right? So God says, I'm making, God has made, Paul says, God made me a, a, a minister to the Gentiles. And then he picks up in verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Again, unsearchable riches. We have these superlative words. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So, Paul was saved by grace. He ministers to the Gentiles like us to know the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 14, he goes into prayer again. He says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he prays in verse 16, that, we would, that He would strengthen us according to the riches of His glory through His Spirit. Verse 17, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Verse 18, that we would be able to, notice this, we able to comprehend with all the saints. Isn't that the point I'm trying to make here tonight? We need to comprehend how good God is. If we can comprehend how good God is, I don't need to tell any of you how to live. If we can comprehend how good God is, the rest of it is just a little bit of guidance, right? We don't babysit one another. We love one another. We take care of one another. We serve the Lord. We take care of one another because we serve the Lord. So what we need to know is that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what we need. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to all the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so notice this, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, in this life, there are times that we feel like we're up against the wall for some reason. Or we feel like we have some insurmountable challenge ahead of us. That's okay. He's able to do above, exceedingly, abundantly, whatever we're imagining. Whatever we can ask or think, He's bigger than that, right? And so we're reminded of that. And so then, therefore, as a result of everything we've read in chapters 1, 2, and 3, therefore, we walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. 
Now we can talk about how to live. With all, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so now we walk worthy. Therefore, because of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is, the, is what drives us. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are really, honestly, simple, practical nuggets of how to walk. How to walk. How to walk out this Christian life. But if we don't get the why, we'll, then how doesn't matter. But if we get the why, then the how is just, we're just following His instructions. We're just following His lead. So, skip over to verse 11. He says, uh, he talks about the church now. He says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. But... Speaking, in the truth in, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let me tell you this also. There's the purpose of the church. You want to ask the question, why does, how does the church role how do we do church there's a lot of ways to do church right how do we do church how does the church carry out its thing ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16 ephesians 4 11 through 16 well god made god made some people to be pastors some people to do this and some people to do this and some people to do this and they all do it for the equipping of the saints that's all of us, for the work of the ministry. Whose ministry? Your ministry. Why do you come to church? To be equipped for the work of your ministry. Do you come to church to feed me? Do you come to church to... Um, well, for any other reason than to be equipped to do your ministry? No. It's to do your ministry. And how does God do that? He puts different people together with different offices in the church, different order, different giftings, different things, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. And that we may grow up in all things to Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, from whom the whole body, who's that? Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's a beautiful picture of the church. If you ever need a biblical, how should church look, it's Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Skip over to verse 20. He says, uh, But 
you have not so learned Christ. I'm sorry, 17 to 20, he's just saying, basically, don't, don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't, don't walk in sin. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have, heard, you have heard him and have been taught by him, as, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off according, concerning the former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So what he's saying in this verse 17 through, through 24, basically, don't live like, the, like heathen, right? Why? Because God's so good to us. How could we not serve the God of Ephesians 1 through 3? Right? So accordingly, don't live like, like they do, but put on the new man, put off the old man. Then he goes through some specific nuggets, verse 25. Put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the, think about, now listen to these just in terms of very basic practical nuggets. Be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who, steal, who stole steal no longer, but rather him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who, is, who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Can I tell us this, Christians? What would the body of Christ look like? I'm not talking about this room necessarily. But what would the body of Christ look like across the board if every Christian would let no corrupt word proceed out of his mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Would the church look different? Would it smell different? You bet it would. You bet it would. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Right? See these? So, so these are just specific little nuggets, right? Things, little, little road signs in the road of life that we're walking down. Why? Because of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 5 and 6, we're just going to read real quickly. Therefore, verse five, chapter 5, be imitators of God dear ch- as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So just be an imitator of God, right? Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, right? Verse uh, 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Have we noticed that time keeps ticking? Time keeps ticking. Redeem the time. Be intentional. Be intentional. You know, I love leisure. I love rest. All of that, right? But we need to live intentionally. We need to live with purpose. You know, you look at the, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Again, I'm sorry I go off on this occasionally. You look at 
places in the world and people groups in the world that like thrive in their latter years, right? There's these sections, I won't go off on it too much, but I'm sure I have, sorry. There's these areas where people have studied these communities of people and they, you know, there's these people run around and live to be 90 to 100 years old, right? And, they, and there's this guy, he studied, he coined this term, but they call it the blue zones, where they, where they live and um, study these, what are the common features of some of these people? And they're across cultures, across uh, demographics, across economics, but what are some of the common things? Well, you know, they eat healthy, they stay active, stuff like that. But pretty quickly, the commonalities become very non-medical, right? A lot of these people groups have a strong sense of faith. They have a strong sense of community. They have uh, a sense of purpose. Well, where I come from, that sounds like a church, right? Could it be that, that what we're doing here is good for our health? Yes. You bet it is. Yes. It's better than your cholesterol, I can tell you that, straight up. I'm convinced. I'm wholeheartedly convinced. Redeem the time because the days are evil. And then he goes into some more um, just specific uh, details. And then he jumps into this pretty famous section, chapters 20, or verse 22 to 27, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church be subject, is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, right? Okay, so husbands and wives, all this thing. Ephesians 5, husbands and wives. Here's the bottom line, right? What have we, just been, what have we been saying for the last however long about Christ and the church? Christ, uh, God is so amazing that He's blessed us, He's taken care of us, He's adopted us, He's predestined us, He's given us so much goodness that Paul has to stop twice and pray that we'll comprehend it in chapters 1, 2, and 3. That's the God we're talking about. And the church says, cool. I'll follow him, right? The church says, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called, with lowliness and gentleness, right? And Paul goes on to say, that's the husband and the wife, right? Husband says, husband is called to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Wife is called to respond to that like the church is supposed to respond to God's love. Simple as that, right? Now, does it always work like that? Not quite, right? Because we're humans, right? But that's how it's supposed to work. That's the model. The model is husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, respond to that love. I had somebody one time, they said, um, so what do you do with that submission thing? I said, well, here's how it should work. I take care of my wife and she lets me, Right? That's Ephesians 5, right? And he summarizes it. Verse 33. 
If you drive behind me, by the way, going down the road in Madison, Indiana, you'll know it's me because my license plate says EPHS 533, right? Because this is my wife and this is our, this is the car we drive on date night, right? So we're driving down the road doing EPHS 533. What is it? Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When it works like that, that's the, that's the model. Chapter 6, more practical stuff. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the commandment, first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Why do you do that? Because of chapter 1, 2, and 3. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Why do you do that? So they'll be good kids and they'll obey you all your life? No, because of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so these are all just, again, very practical nuggets in the home and in the workplace. And then chapter 10, or chapter 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because the reality is, God is the God of chapters 1, 2, and 3. We live the life, the walk, the journey of chapters 4, 5, and 6. But along the way, we're going to have some opposition on this earth, right? And it's not against flesh and blood. Can I tell us this again as the body of Christ? It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against the person that bugs you. It's not against some unknown force that bugs you, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, day, in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand firm there. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The wicked one shoots fiery darts at us. We need the whole armor of God to deflect those darts and to protect ourselves and one another. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And then finally he says, verse 23, Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. All right. Every human being lives by incentive. Our incentive needs to be God is so good to us. I hope you know by now, if you hear me rant, it's very, ever, it's very rarely ever a rant on, you need to do this, you need to do this, this is how you live the Christian life. If I'm in a rant, it's going to be, God is so good. 
please comprehend how good God is. I love what one guy said. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do whatever you feel like. Right? That's good theology. You, you comprehend the magnitude of God's goodness, of how much He loves you individually, of what all He has done for you, and what it means even to try to comprehend what is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does it really mean to be adopted into His family that He chose us before the foundation of the world and predestined us to be His adopted kids? All of that stuff, if we can grasp that, then guess what? We won't grow weary in doing good. If we really grasp that, can you imagine... Can you imagine growing weary serving a God like that? And if we do grow weary, I don't think it's because we lack strength. I think it's because we lack insight into His goodness. So, therefore, walk worthy. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that You are so good to us that You've revealed Yourself to us in Your Word, that You've reached down to our very hearts to show us Your goodness, that You've preserved Your Word through the centuries, that You've given us faithful ambassadors like Paul to communicate Your truth to us, that You died on a cross for us, that You chose us. That You gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment just to prove that You were serious. Lord, help us to never look at this like a religion. Help us to never serve You so that we think we'll win favor with You. Help us to serve You because we know who You are. In what you've done and help us not to grow weary in doing good in Jesus name Amen